0: to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG Online. We're at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com. Coming up on today's program, two headlines to look at, including an interesting study about noise. There's a lot of noise around. It's amazing how much noise there is and how much it uh, does affect people in cities and other places. We're going to take a look at that and the importance of of getting away from that noise and being able to uh, think and meditate a little bit. That and plenty more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. this is trumpet radio live thanks for joining us here on trumpet radio live we're at 101.3 kpcg and we're online at kpcg.fm and have a live link at thetrumpet.com. if you'd like to follow us on Twitter you can do that at kpcgfM and any emails you'd like to send send those to comments at kpcg.fm we're happy to look at those Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon with you here today I was uh, just before we came on the air um <clears throat> I was I looked I was looking at some headlines and there's a story about uh, allergies, which I don't think I have any, but when I was reading it then I started sneezing. <laughs>
1: so now I've got this like a little bit of this cough thing going on and um uh, I power of suggestion maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes those things can get in your head. They just become a mental plague on you if you read read the wrong thing at the wrong time.
0: That's why yeah, Web
1: WebMD is uh
0: they should change the name of it to like do you want to have a really bad day? <laughs> Look up your symptoms on WebMD.
1: There have been so many jokes, like, just online or on shows and all these things about WebMD because of how extreme the symptoms can be sometimes.
0: Oh, any symptom you have, you're probably dying, (laughs) like, very soon. (laughs) You never see anything, and they say, ah, it's probably no big deal. (laughs) Or even if they do, they'll say, in most cases, this is fine, but you could be suffering a heart
1: attack. So basically, it's like every drug commercial where where they tell you how bad it could be, but they try to soothe you at the same time.
0: Sort of, yeah. And I suppose for legal reasons, they have to give you worst-case scenario because they don't want to, you know, for the person that is actually having a problem, they don't want to make it seem like it's no big deal because then there could be a lawsuit, I suppose. Yeah, it's probably
1: not even their fault then in that case.
0: So uh, anyway, I'll try not to uh, sneeze on the listening audience uh, today. (laughs) Um, We have some headlines to look at. Um, I... At the beginning of the show, after uh, the Oklahoma
1: City Thunder have lost, particularly a playoff game, I feel like I should give Grant a little time to just express his feelings. Well, I have to also add, my baseball team got crushed by the Chicago White Sox last night. A White Sox fan told me to mention it, (laughs) 10 to 4, so it was a bad night all around for all of my teams, which I'm pretty much used to at this point, because one of my teams ever really that good... (laughs) Wow! So uh, a White
0: Sox fan wanted to make sure that uh, you mentioned it on I air. did it. Public. He's uh, probably
1: rejoicing that I actually did it.
0: What's your baseball team?
1: Seattle Mariners. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, actually, the first seven White Sox players got hits in that game last night. Wow! Which I haven't even heard of before.
0: Yeah, there was a interesting stat from a couple of days ago where one of the one of the uh, Players, I can't remember what team, but he uh, faced 21 pitches in an at bat.
1: Oh yeah, it took 13 minutes. Yeah, I think it was a player for the San Francisco Giants. Okay, yeah.
0: I was telling my son about that, uh, and I said, you know, if as a pitcher, if you can, or as a hitter, if you can get that many pitches thrown to you, even if you don't get on base, you've won because you're just going to wear that pitcher down, keep fouling them off.
1: That's true, and uh, I've I've been in an at bat like that before, and you get so much more confidence every time you foul it off. Mm-hmm. Like You start to get the impression that like no matter what this guy throws, you're not going to swing and miss. You're on to everything he's throwing. But I ended up lining out to center field, so it, it didn't pay off. But there was actually one foul ball where I hit it into the third base dugout. I swung late. I'm left-handed. I swung late, and it drilled a guy right in the chest, like one of the guys mm. standing up there in the dugout. Hit him really hard. I, I thought he was going to get hurt, but he kind of just absorbed it.
0: Oh, good, because that yeah. can be bad. Yeah, my son last night he was playing in a baseball game and he um he had a uh, his first ever stinger. Yeah. Uh, he hit the ball and uh, it hit a weird part of the bat and he got a hit and he got on base, but his his arm went completely numb immediately, oh, no. and so he was pretty uh, scared about that. It's a weird <laughs> feeling if you've ever had one of those because you feel yeah. like your arm just disappeared.
1: Yeah, it's actually way worse if you if you do it in cold weather. Like it doesn't go away the rest of the game. Yeah, like, you could be playing for two more hours and you'll still feel like. You ha- got nerve damage or something. That's what it feels like.
0: Yeah. It happened only one time to me. Somebody passed a basketball to me and it hit me. I wasn't looking at it. Maybe it was a deflection. <clears throat> and it hit me in the back of the elbow. Mm. And my arm immediately, like, I felt like it disappeared. And <laughs> yeah. it, it scares you. You're like, it what is just happened? really scary. <laughs> Did my arm just die? But it came back. It came back. I have function of it now. So, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. And then, of course, the Thunder Lost. Too, yeah. So. I was
1: sorry. That was a bit of a tangent. <clears throat> thunder Lost. Um, It's a very, I guess, aggressive type of a game. The teams clearly, at this point, just really don't like each Uh other. Seven technical fouls, one ejection. Uh, I don't know, just... The, the Jazz are slowly becoming a little bit more unlikable. Like Ricky Rubio's mastered the flop, and so he kept drawing a lot of fouls that way. And then <laughs> Joe Ingles, I don't know if you've seen him, but he looks like a he looks like a math teacher or yeah. a, a bar owner. I've heard yeah, like, or a Best Buy employee. He's just yeah. a he's just a typical guy out there, but he just happens to be awesome at basketball. And uh, he has this way of playing defense where he just glues himself to the side of Paul George at all times, even if they're just walking down the court, or even if it's. After a whistle and the game's not even being played at that second, he's just stuck to him. Yeah. And his face is about a <laughs> centimeter away from Paul George's face. And he just apparently is almost always allowed to get away with that.
0: You know, it's one thing. I've, and I've watched a lot of uh, basketball over the years and played a fair bit. And I ne- the one thing I never understand about the NBA, and in particular like in the playoffs where the the, the intensity gets ramped up, is on the defensive side. Like, how, how can people just hug each – like, you'll see defenders hug. Yeah. And I think – I'm like, how can you do that? How is that allowed? But then, as we were talking about before, and I know this is every fan's um, irritation, that'll go on, and then somebody will – there'll be a minor something, and they're like, oh, foul. And you're like, but he was hugging that man for – you know, <laughs> with, with cruel <laughs> intent. Uh, and I can never understand why some things are okay and some things are not.
1: It's totally – and crazy watching a basketball game because it seems like the referees pretty much have total control over even like the entire outcome of the game because like I was saying before we came on the air it's like the ref sometimes will pick one player and they'll give him like the most soft fouls imaginable while like you said the whole rest of the game the other eight guys are out there tackling each other and there's no fouls called at all and so if you get one guy in foul trouble in the second quarter That can really alter the entire outcome of the game. Like, that's happened the last three games to the Thunder, where they like one guy on the Thunder is just racking up calls. And I'm not just saying that as a homer either. Like, I'm pretty objective at looking at foul calls, but it's like, how many times can you let one person flop and then give him a reward by calling the foul on Russell Westbrook? It just doesn't even make sense after a while. If he's falling down due to a slight breeze, just stop calling it and maybe he'll stop doing it.
0: I am uh I'd love to reach out to an official and see if I could get get an NBA official to talk to me. Just to, I just want to get behind the curtain and be like, "Okay, what are you guys looking at? I know. <laughs> what do you guys see in here?" But uh anyway, <clears throat> it's interesting and they they like that drama because they make a lot of money selling their uh selling the uh, tickets and the the TV time and the the ratings have been way up for the nba so they they like to have a lot of drama if they can get a little bit of drama going then that's uh, that helps them <laughs> uh here's some headlines to look at today this is uh this happened yesterday afternoon you've probably saw this exploding on the headlines from uh ctv news 10 dead after van strikes pedestrians in toronto they uh, identified the suspect 10 people were killed and 15 others were injured after a white rental van mowed down pedestrians along a busy street in Toronto on Monday. <clears throat> the incident happened at around 1.30 p.m. on Yonge Street, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, at Finch Avenue and ending near Shepherd Avenue, about two kilometers away. So he, he really went on a rampage there. Police officer arrested a male suspect without firing a single shot. Uh, the Toronto Police. Uh, identified the suspect as Alec uh, Manansian, 25, of Richmond Hill, Ontario. Neighbors said that they'd seen him out running. The guy kind of kept to himself, typically. Uh, One former classmate said he struggled with mental illness. Uh, Other reports said that he was in some some, uh, sort of special educational classes and uh, he would meow for Mm. whatever that's worth, but that was something people remembered about him, so they don't know. <clears throat> what the motivation exactly is here. He had some issues. Um, and uh, my sister, actually, who still lives up in that area, she used to work right down there, so she's familiar with that uh, location.
1: Wow, that's it's scary when it hits that close to you, like places that you just were. Uh, like I said before, that, that Las Vegas shooting last October, I'd been in that same area like seven months before it happened, <clears throat> and it's it is chilling whenever you know exactly where it happened and you can picture it and you were just there uh, but it does seem, too, like these these bus attacks are becoming a lot more common. It's almost like people didn't know that was a possibility, and then one happened recently, <laughs> and now a lot of people are realizing that they could do it, too. Yeah, it's a terrible
0: situation, and uh, anytime you have a big city like that, or it could be a small town, but where a lot of people are congregated together, uh, that's something you just have to be careful of, and it's so random, and, uh, you know, I... I've mentioned before like say if you've been in a times square or someplace like that i mean it's wall-to-wall people and if somebody ever got a crazy notion <clears throat> to do things like this which they are obviously getting that notion you you would just be at the mercy of you know the situation so horrible deal there but again the mental illness rears its uh, ugly head
1: yeah and yesterday we were talking about that that naked man who came into that waffle house and shot four people i saw one of those. Um one of those newer late night shows and they were making fun of how well sure enough the hero wasn't armed he didn't have his own gun Mm. as if anyone would rather run up to someone and tackle them than sit across the restaurant and take one shot and end it i mean that just the the logic there doesn't even make sense but it's it's pretty clear like you can use any kind of weapon uh to kill someone you could use a bus you could use a gun uh but why would you want to take away guns from the people who are clearly a hero like the ones who are going to go tackle someone who's shooting up a restaurant those are heroes anytime there's like a huge crowd of people you would like to have maybe one person who could have stopped it he went two kilometers which is well over one mile i mean he went a long way just driving down the street without anyone trying to stop him yeah and there's really probably nothing they could have done to stop him other than to shoot him. Exactly. I mean, and, he's driving a van. What? Do you, what else do you do? Jump in front of it? I mean, that's not going to work. Shoot out the tires or or him or so. I don't know. But terrible
0: situation there. And it's interesting too. I mean, they don't they don't know exactly what the motivation is. But um, it, it is amazing to me how it just drops off the headlines so quickly. Like it's not even almost. It's, it's almost not even a top story today anymore. And it's not like. <clears throat> Anything else has happened that is more major, but these things unfortunately are pretty common now, but you just think back to say you know it was, well pre nine eleven especially but but even just a few years ago you know, you're talking about you're talking about a major city in Canada, Toronto, and a and a guy driving a van and killing ten people i mean that like that would be the headlines for a week but it's kind of, uh, I guess, we're numb to it
1: now or something. Well, it's easy to forget there used to be slow news days. There aren't ever slow news days anymore. There's always a ton of things going on. There's some kind of ca- like tragedy like this happening pretty much every day. And so it's happening every day, sometimes multiple in a day, it's hard to even really reflect on what that means. I mean, these are real people losing their lives and plenty of families and friends and, and acquaintances – having to move forward and try to not be scarred for life about what happened. Yeah, it's really, really a, quite a deal there.
0: Here's uh, some news from Baltimore. Um, they're having their problems as well. Violent April breaks brief peace in Baltimore. They had 29 killings in the past three weeks. There was a little bit of time where there w- weren't as many, and they thought maybe it was improving. They they went 12 days without a killing in February, Uh, Declining street violence in March, and then there was optimism around a new police commissioner. And after a three-year spike in violent crime, a long and bloody siege that brought Baltimore international attention, the city seemed finally to be heading toward some sort of peace anyway. And then April came. Someone executed a mother and daughter inside their house. Stray gunfire killed a 65-year-old woman on her porch. A wanton shooter wounded a 69-year-old man outside his home. Baltimore police counted 17 killings last month, 29 within the past three weeks. For Baltimoreans uh, and for the officials charged with keeping them safe, a familiar dread is returning. So more violence and killing in Baltimore. Uh, There are people that are charged with keeping them safe, police officers, but yet there's all this anti-police sentiment that's out there as well. And it was interesting, too, because this article said that police— <clears throat> are asking anyone with information about some of these crimes to contact the homicide detectives. Well, because of all the anti-police rhetoric that's out there, two thing- three things are happening. One, violence towards the police. Two, less people wanting to be police. And number three, people won't cooperate with officers anymore. So they said, hey, you know, if you have information, let us know. But nobody talks to them because of all the anti-police sentiment.
1: Well, yeah, that's a huge increase, too, of 17 <laughs> killings in March and now 29, and April's not even over yet uh, I guess people could easily say it dropped off for a little bit maybe we have some hope but why would it change long term in a place like Baltimore those reasons that you just mentioned they're all still there I mean there are still there's still rhetoric all the time in the media yeah. on the left in this country where the police are at fault anytime there's a, a question about who's at fault it's not the criminal who was shot it's always the police and when you have that kind of statement being put out there all the time, it's going to naturally have that kind of effect. Uh, It's so easy to see why that's one of the core communist strategies, too. Anytime they want to destabilize a nation, they start to undermine the police force, steal the police force's power, make sure that the police are actually afraid to act. Because look at at what it has done to some of these cities, where they're pretty much third-world pockets within a first-world country.
0: Yeah, Baltimore. You <clears throat> remember they let they gave them the protesters space to protest there a few years space back to destroy space to destroy, <laughs> and since then there's been an additional hundred murders per year in Baltimore each of the three years since. <clears throat> so it really is uh, not getting better. And and like they say in this write up too, they there's this new uh, police uh, commissioner, and they thought, well, maybe that'll improve things. I think he's from the area. But last week, uh, we mentioned that he was at a hip hop concert and he got on the stage. This is the police commissioner. I think it was the mayor as well. And he apologized to the audience for 200 years of policing and all the the things that they've done and hurt, hurt people. And, uh, people in the audience, some of them cheered, but a lot of them, uh, swore at him and many yelled, get, get the cops off the stage. So here he is apologizing, which he shouldn't do because there's nothing to apologize for. And, uh, and this anti-police sentiment is just going crazy, and so the police are now saying, "Please help us to, you know, catch these killers." You know, good luck. Nobody wants to talk to
1: the police. Yeah, I mean, it, it just shows you too. Uh, and we've been talking about this on a national level as well. Anytime you're confronted with savagery and just brute violence, you have to respond with force. I mean, yeah. if you're if you're going to have people on the street attacking the police, or in this case. Swearing at them. You have to be realistic and understand that an apology to people who are already out of control with their emotions and swearing at you is going to do nothing. You have to just do the right thing and not care about whether it's popular. I mean, obviously being popular pretty much in a place like Baltimore is going to mean leaving the city which is going to turn it into basically a horror movie if they did that.
0: Yeah, and <clears throat> the police are looked at as this enemy, but really the the main people that look at the police as the enemy are the criminals because they want to get away with their criminal activity. And so apolog- we well, are apologizing to a lot of people that are, quite frankly, probably criminal element, because of especially in some of these neighborhoods with all this violence and they're in, into drugs and other things. There's nothing to apologize for. They should be the ones apologizing for their their deeds. And so, you can't you can't um, be a law enforcement officer and befriend the criminals. It just doesn't work because either you're going to allow activity to go on, or you're going to not be their friend because you're going to have to arrest them and take them in. And, and so, with all these murders in Baltimore, the officers said, "Well, let's go serve some of those warrants that we got sitting around." So they've gone to <laughs> pick up some of the criminals. Now maybe maybe go serve those a little earlier before they kill
1: somebody. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just one of those cases where you have to actually step up and prioritize safety over people's feelings. I mean, the the sentiment right now is sadly, uh, and I even saw this in a, supposedly a comedy show recently, it's like if a police officer stops a minority right now and it turns out that minority wasn't committing a crime, then that's cause for mass outrage. Even if it just took two minutes to explain respectfully that there was no crime taking place, that for some reason that's such an injustice. And then there's all this misdirected anger at the police. What about the anger toward the criminals? The criminals are the ones who make the police have to step <laughs> out and, and make a stop once in a while. They have to check out people who look suspicious. Because if you have so many criminals hanging out in the same areas who are actually committing crimes. It only makes sense to then check people in certain areas or check people who look a certain way. If the vast majority of the criminals look that way, that's just common sense. But why would you get mad at the police for doing their jobs when really it's the criminals' fault you got stopped? It's not the police's fault for doing their job. It's the criminals' fault because they look like you or they're in that same area committing the same crimes that the police suspected you of.
0: Yeah, if you're if you're living in a you know <clears throat> rough neighborhood uh, and. You're not committing crimes. I would, I would want a greater police presence, and I wouldn't mind being, you know, stopped occasionally just to see if everything's okay. And yeah, it is. And then they'd probably get to know you, and they're like, "Well, that that you know that person is not into this stuff." They would get to know it over time, but right, but you would want the
1: presence there because if they leave, then the the criminals just take over. Well, yeah, because if you think about a situation like that, I think we've all been stopped by the police at some point. I mean, it, whether it's on the street or if we've been driving on the road, whatever it is, and what does it take? It takes maybe five minutes, ten minutes tops, yep. and they check out your background, and then they move on. So if you have not committed any crimes, there's nothing to fear. They're not going to just abuse you. I mean, that's not even realistic. I mean, it's so so rare. It's like more likely for you to get struck by lightning than it is to get killed by a police officer. But if you're just... Nice to the police, I don't think there's too much to worry about If you're not committing crimes, there's not too much to worry about. The only thing you lose is a few minutes of your time. You're not getting hurt, you're not getting robbed. you're not getting killed by police as long as you're just respectful and keeping the law
0: yeah so Baltimore is the uh continuing to have some issues there. Here's another story sort of related to uh cities, but it's a different sort of attack, but something that uh I think cities are thinking about this is from N Gadget. Atlanta spends more than two million dollars to recover from ransomware attack. Last month Atlanta city government was hit with a ransomware attack that caused courthouse documents and services like payment processing to become inaccessible. That's no good if you want to get a payment. The ransom demand was approximately fifty one thousand dollars. That's pretty specific. Why not fifty thousand? Why fifty one? But according to the city's Department of Procurement, Atlanta has spent much more than that on efforts to rectify the situation because they don't want to pay the ransom and give in, obviously, to the people. Uh, this says it appears that firms SecureWorks and Ernst and & Young were paid 650000 and 600000 respectively for emergency services while uh, Edelman was paid 50000 for crisis communication services. Overall, the funds seemingly applied to the ransomware attack response add up to approximately $2.7 million. So cities have things that they need to do. They have programs online, and it could be more serious. I mean, it could be you know a power grid or something. But anyway, it just shows you that cities as an entity are susceptible to attacks, whether it's ransomware or hacking or something. And it's easy to not think as much about that, but if you get a person that knows how to do it and wants to cause
1: trouble they could hold a a, a city hostage just through cyber terrorism yeah and this these kind of attacks have been happening a lot more recently whether it is in this case on an entire city's government or if it's just a bunch of individuals who maybe had their card information stolen or a lot of their personal data taken off of their phones or computers we have been hearing a lot more about that and it just shows there it's not really that hard for a lot of hackers to do things like this um and that is a really big potential problem for many millions of people and not just people but like i said a city government or a state government or uh when it comes to the worst a national government there could be huge problems caused by just a uh, one skilled hacker
0: yeah so some people are saying, "Well, why why would Atlanta pay two point seven million when they could have just paid the fifty one thousand to the <laughs> ransomware people?" But <clears throat> obviously, the point is, if you give in to somebody that's that's you know uh, blackmailing you, will do it again. I mean, you can't even
1: cities know you can't really negotiate with terrorists. Um, so probably the cost would add up to a lot more <laughs> than two point seven million by the time that all these hackers hear about it and start attacking the same spot. And that's that's kind of a principle that applies uh, in international relations, too. If you pay a ransom, they're going to keep on kidnapping civilians so that you'll be forced to pay a ransom again. I mean, we've yeah. done similar things with Iran.
0: Yeah. So interesting uh, situation there in Atlanta, and uh, that would be frustrating if you were trying to get a payment and they owed you something and all of a sudden uh, they couldn't get you the money. I guess you'd have to go do the old-fashioned, uh, I don't know, go go back to the old way of doing things everything's in filing cabinets go find those
1: old filing cabinets and see where the records are (laughs) well see that was the plus to a filing cabinet because at least you couldn't really hack into that you had to actually break into the building itself i mean obviously it would take longer to get through all those files but at least you wouldn't have crises like this
0: yeah that's that's the downside of the, the convenience of technology is that um it's much more vulnerable. It's convenient for hackers. Yeah, I was <laughs> thinking about that. You know, if they if they wanted to do the same sort of thing, how many buildings would they have to break into, and you know, and everyone would know who did it because they'd be right there. Right. You know, you you wouldn't do it the same way. So uh, anyway, it's kind of interesting. Here's a really interesting write-up. This one was really I hadn't heard this before, uh, and I think it's really interesting. It says uh, in Donald Trump, Israelis hear echoes of an ancient emperor. Cyrus the Great of Persia. Well, that's interesting because he uh, sent the Jews back to uh, rebuild uh, the temple. Cyrus II of Persia, it says, founded one of the greatest empires in history and uh, promulgated what is believed to be the world's first declaration of human rights and is a national hero in Iran. I don't. Uh, he used to be. I don't know if he still is. But not by the rulers now. Not by the rulers, no, because they're not that way. <laughs> It says, and uh, ever since last December, when the United States recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and made plans to relocate the U.S. embassy there, prominent Israelis have explicitly compared Donald Trump to the ruler who has gone down in history as Cyrus the Great. I had not heard this comparison before. Had you heard this?
1: No, that's extremely accurate, though. I mean, you could understand why the Israelis might say something like that. And it's not even like he's gone so far as to declare... Israel the good guys in their conflict with the Palestinians all he's done is basically say that he would move the embassy to Jerusalem and then actually do it which our past presidents have not actually followed through on yeah. They say this comparison of President Trump and
0: Cyrus the Great was made explicitly by Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu during his first visit to Washington last month, or sorry, his visit to Washington last month. He says, "I want to tell you that the Jewish people have a long memory, so we remember the proclamation of the great king, Cyrus the Great," Netanyahu said at the White House. "And we remember how a few weeks ago President Donald J Trump recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital." Netanyahu has been joined by other prominent ministers in his uh, right-wing coalition including Minister of Education Naftali Bennett and uh, Minister of Justice Ayelet uh, Shaked if I said that right who tweeted Trump is in his generation as Cyrus was in his Uh, Yehuda Glick, the American-born rabbi who is a leader of the movement to build a third Jewish temple in Jerusalem, has said that anyone who does not see that Trump's declaration resembles Cyrus's should, quote, buy himself a new pair of glasses. (laughs) That's high praise to compare, because Cyrus the Great is,
1: uh, is, as his name implies, was a great leader. He was, and basically what he did was— let the Jews leave so that they could go back and rebuild Jerusalem. So that, that was a pretty big step for a Gentile worldly King to make. Uh, and obviously God had to open his mind and inspire him to do that. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a contrast to today because while Mr. Trump did something amazing compared to what any of our other presidents have done, basically what he's done now is the equivalent of, just acknowledging a plain and simple truth like one plus one equals two because jerusalem is the capital of israel that is true and everyone really does know that even if it's deep down and they won't admit it to anyone else everyone in the world knows that jerusalem is the capital of israel but here we have a leader who is willing to actually say it and simply move the the embassy from tel aviv to jerusalem uh it's it's interesting how just doing something that is obviously right and doesn't actually take a whole lot of sacrifice in this case could then make someone a hero because because look at what everyone else is doing where everyone else in the world seems to be just trying to crucify Israel they're trying to they're trying to put all the pressure on Israel to basically take away their national sovereignty and if they did that, then obviously the Palestinians would push them into the Mediterranean, like they always say. It's just, it is, it is crazy just to look at this. It's a common sense move by our president, but it it stands out so much just because everyone else has lost common sense. Yeah, that's a great point.
0: It's, it's something else to think about here? We've we've got some really good write ups at trumpet dot com about Cyrus, and you can understand a lot of the history there and importance of of him in the Bible and secular history. And there's an article, this is from uh, 2015, and it's by Brad McDonald, The Startling Truth About One of History's Greatest Kings. And it's a, there's a lot of great information in there. I just have a few paragraphs from it. But he says, Why would God prophesy the life and accomplishments of a Persian king 150 years before his birth? And he goes into how you can prove that from the Bible. But he says the answer to that question is the theme of Isaiah 44 through 46. In Isaiah 45, 3, God says, And I will give you, talking to Cyrus, "uh, the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the uh, Eternal, which call you by your name, am the God of Israel. And so Mr. McDonald writes here that God makes the purpose of this prophecy abundantly clear. The life and work of King Cyrus prove the existence of God. And he says Cyrus himself understood this and then it quotes Ezra 1 and verse 2 where it says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the eternal God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. He says this great, this great king knew God existed and he knew that God reigned supreme in the world of man. And so when you look at the history of Cyrus, and it's a really good history to look at, uh, it does, as is pointed out in this article, it proves God's existence and God's plan. And so, you know, you have to think about world leaders. Does God set up world leaders? Does he put them in power? Does he have a plan for them? Well, the Bible indicates that yes. Nobody rules unless God's okay with it. Not to say that, you know, he may just allow it in some cases, but in some cases it's specific. And so, you know, what about our current leaders? Is Is there anything in the Bible that, you know, indicates... What they might be doing what what God's plan is, those types of things, obviously they're not named as their modern name. you're not going to find their name in the Bible, but what about the office and what about the 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 uh the prophecies about that um, that's something to consider when you think about the modern leaders today what what is God
1: doing with them? that's true, and there is a kind of a movement even among a lot of Christians that that basically God doesn't care that much about what's going on on earth like he created us and now he's just sitting back and watching Mm -hmm. kind of minding his own business but that doesn't really make sense because the whole universe has proven to us uh, all of science has proven to us that there is no life outside of what's on earth so there's just this one planet and so it's not like god has his attention divided between billions of different planets and all the life forms that are out there it's only here And we have a great purpose to become God one day. So obviously he cares a lot about what's happening on this earth. And like you said, some leaders, if they're really evil, like Hitler or Stalin, he might just let them rule. It's not like he put them in place. But other ones other ones who serve a good purpose, he actually does install. And a lot of prophecies depend on certain leaders doing certain things. And God is totally in charge of that. Yeah, that's the, the point. And,
0: you know, when you look at Cyrus, too, one of the things about him, as is pointed out, is he he got a message from God, and then it was up to him whether or not he followed through with the instructions, and he did. And and it, it revolves around Jerusalem. You know, it revolves around uh, the dynasty of David, the throne of David. You know, and so what about today? You know, do we have leaders that, that sit in the office of kings and... Are they going to get a message from God? Are they going to respond to it? You know, you look at that history of Cyrus, and it's really interesting. And we've got, here in Armstrong Auditorium, we have the two candelabra. I think a lot of people have seen that. And that dates back to the uh, commemoration uh, ceremony from the history of Cyrus, all the way back to, you know, the Shah of Iran at that time. There's a lot of history there. And when you look at Jerusalem and Judah and that history, um, there's a lot of connection between what's going on at Armstrong College and what's going on over there. So when you start talking about Cyrus and Kings and Judah, you really have to start to look at the work that's happening at the trumpet.com and at Armstrong auditorium and the, and the archeology and the watch Jerusalem. And so it is interesting when you see news reports about modern day rulers and about Cyrus and about Jerusalem. Um, there is something important there, but it, people aren't looking in the right spot in most cases.
1: Yeah, and all those different aspects like you said do fit together beautifully and there is a wonderful purpose for the for why Cyrus let the Jewish people leave and I sometimes wonder like what kind of a reward God would give him in the future just because of what what he did, just having the humility to actually respond to God's message because we know a lot of other examples in the Bible certain leaders didn't obey God like nebuchadnezzar was basically turned into a cow for what seven years he Mm -hmm. had to kind of eat grass in the field he basically lost his mind and that was god punishing him for not having the humility to realize that god's in charge over everyone who thinks he even might rule the world so there is obviously there's examples of god punishing certain leaders for not obeying but i wonder what cyrus might get because he actually did respond to god's message very rare very, yeah, rare. very rare for, for that to happen. <laughs> so really interesting uh,
0: write-up there. Uh, uh, it was I found it at Yahoo, and I think I'm not sure. I think there was just a Yahoo News write-up. In Donald Trump, Israelis hear echoes of an ancient emperor. Uh, you're listening to Trump Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. Thanks for joining us online at uh, kpcg.fm and a live link at thetrumpet.com. Uh, have you ever found that when you uh, go somewhere, it's very noisy? Uh yes, right? Yes. <laughs> it's no it's very noisy. There's it's right up from the Gazette Extra. It says seeking a quiet place in a nation of noise. And they say almost no place in the continental United States is free of man-made sound. So that's what they're talking about. They're not talking about a chamber of silence, but they're talking about man-made sound if you're in, you know, cars and trucks and, you know, everything else going on, not to mention nowadays with smartphones and so forth. It says, when it mapped noise across the country, the U.S. Department of Transportation's Bureau of Transportation Statistics in 2017 found that 97% of the population is subjected to man-made noise. Who are those 3% that don't have? (laughs) They're deaf. Uh, It says, a recent study of 290 national park sites found that 67% have significant human-caused noise, said Rachel Buxton of the Colorado State University in Fort Collins which that's
1: surprising. You'd think you'd go out to a national park and it'd be quiet, but a lot of man-made noise. A lot of highways that are right next to them sometimes, and so even if you went out there to camp, you'd probably be hearing semi-trucks rumbling past at least every few minutes. Yeah,
0: there's all kinds of noises out there. They say aircraft noise fell by 95% from 1970 to 2004 as plane engines got quieter according to a federal aviation administration, but local battles over airport and airplane noise continue for communities in flight paths. In the national parks, the biggest culprit is aircraft, the planes overhead, and then road traffic and sounds from industrial sources like oil and natural gas drilling. And uh, this well, this lady said, we'll be hiking in the Rocky Mountain, and, and then uh, uh, there'll be all this background noise, and it drives her husband crazy. <laughs> 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 Which I can understand. You you want to get away from uh well i would equate it to say maybe you've had this happen where you you take the family maybe and you go to like a quiet park or you go somewhere and you just want to have some nice quiet time and somebody's blasting a stereo and you're like come on mm-hmm. why are you ruining this for everyone <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know whether it's something like that or it's just people you know flying planes or drones or air or, you know uh uh cars and so forth uh, people are having a hard time escaping from noise, even in some of those more remote places.
1: Yeah, for me personally, some of the some of these noises are not really that irritating, like a car or a plane, because those those things actually seem necessary. But like a stereo, that would really bug me a lot because people just do that sometimes to get noticed. They just want to get their attention. Uh, they want people to look at them and see what music they're listening to and all that. And so that, that is a little bit more annoying, but sometimes if you're like off in the woods or you live kind of sequestered away, but there's a a road nearby, it's actually kind of comforting to hear the car, the cars drive past because it's like a reminder that you're not really that close to all of, I mean, you're, you're kind of still separated from it, but you still know that there is a world out there. There is still reality pasture trees there there are um people that kind of grow
0: up in a maybe a city or something and i've heard them say that it's strange if they aren't there like they at night when they're trying to sleep it's too quiet for a while it kind of messes them up but 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 noise in general probably is something that uh People would want less of New York updated noise regulations in 2005 and in 2007 to set maximum noise levels and restrict the times of day that construction and other noises could be heard above those levels. Uh, They say people are only worried about the noise that affects them. And, and they think, well, if you live in a city, you know, that's what's going to happen. But they point out noise doesn't just affect hearing, noise activists say. So there's noise activists. <laughs> uh, it can cost you your health, they say. A study by the University of Michigan showed a link to cardiovascular disease and heart attacks... The consensus is that if we keep the noise below 70 decibels on average, that would eliminate hearing loss. But the problem is that if noise is more than 50 decibels, there's an increased risk of heart attack and hypertension. They think noise at 70 decibels is not safe. Now, again, there'll be some debate about this. So where does, what does this mean? Well, if you hear a jackhammer, that's 130 decibels. A chainsaw is 110 decibels. A rock concert, if you're standing near the speakers, has 120 decibels. <laughs> Getting passed by police with sirens blazing, 120 decibels. Behind a garbage truck, 100 decibels. A noisy restaurant, 70 decibels. So it gives you some idea of, of what we're dealing with. And, of course, if you've ever operated a chainsaw or something, you know that it'd be wise to wear hearing protection because <laughs> those things are loud and jackhammers and other things like that. And, We've all been in that situation where a police car screamed by us or a fire truck, and it's get your attention like it's designed to. (laughs) So they're trying to uh, figure out a way to make things a little less noisy. Texas is trying a new quiet concrete on two stretches of highway on Interstate 10 and U.S. 290. It costs $12.4 million. Uh, It's aimed at replacing concrete sound barriers that won't be needed because highway traffic will be quieter. So they're hoping to maybe improve some things like that. So anyway, people are considering uh, sound. uh, Leaf blowers are another problem. People get upset when people are using leaf blowers and doing things like that (laughs) and all these different flights and and things. Here, you know, in our area, we're a little bit out of town. Uh, We have a train that goes by that you can hear from pretty much wherever you are uh, and a few things like that. For me, it's not too bad unless my neighbor mows the lawn, but everyone mows their lawn sort of at a proper time, so I don't think too much about it, but it is something that um, is worth thinking about in relation to uh, the the idea of meditation, having a little bit of quietness. And that could even be just getting rid of distractions and smartphones, just for a little bit to, uh, to meditate, because that is something that the Bible talks about as being important to um, develop a relationship with God. Even people that aren't thinking about it in a spiritual sense, understand that quiet time without distraction is positive in certain aspects of life
1: yeah that's that's true that's why uh, finding quiet is so important and that's why certain people do like to go camping or they do like to take retreats from time to time because you know especially with smartphones now it's like you're checking a screen hundreds of times every day I mean that's that's quite a burden. It's like you're always connected, you're always like you have been bringing out, surrounded by all kinds of different sounds uh there are kind of like i guess some limits like you said, where hopefully people are at least not mowing their lawn at two in the morning or something like that uh but if if it's like driving or flying for me, that can be any time but just just like keep the jackhammer during the daytime those types of things uh, but but even even just beyond that like Obviously, you always just want to have some place where you can go to, to achieve total quiet. Sometimes you have to go pretty far away, but you'd hope once you get there that you actually get the quiet you were looking for.
0: Yeah, there's a really good write-up here um, at PCOG.org. Uh, it's by Andrew Loker. and the title is The Secret to a Better Relationship with God. Using this tool, gives us uh, God gives us will yield rewards greater than we can imagine, and he's talking about meditation. And he starts out with a personal story about uh, spending a Sabbath in the uh, Rocky Mountains uh, camping and walking to get away from, you know, just the, the campsite to have a little bit of a relaxation. Now, of course, it's funny because I guess he wasn't in the same spot the other person was in from the earlier story where they, <laughs> they heard all the airplanes and everything. <laughs> but anyway, he he's uh, has a pretty colorful introduction describing the morning and, and uh, just says that when he was walking, he began to reflect on the magnitude of God's creation, and of course, being out there is a beautiful area and and getting getting away from all the distractions and the sound and he says the clear waters in the creek flowed by with the tranquil sound. You know if you notice nature the way God created it, there are lots of sounds, but they're usually they're usually pretty uh, calming or enjoyable. And in that report we talked about earlier. of people in in the U.S. are affected by man-made sound. And so sounds great. We all are (laughs) thankful for sound, but it's just being able to get away from some of that man-made sound and distraction and have some time to spend time meditating and thinking about other things, um, and in this case thinking about God. And he gives a few examples about uh, just different things that you can meditate on, but uh, it's hard to do it when, you know, if a TV's blaring and,
1: or, you know, something else is going on that's, that's uh, taking your attention away. Absolutely. Yeah. Meditation is very important, but, and you do want to have some kind of solitude, hopefully. Uh, and, and like he said here, like if you can get out in nature, sometimes that is really one of the best ways to do it. Because sometimes if you're at home, obviously, uh, we all have families or a lot of, work to be done and people are going to be calling us and things like that. Uh, but if you could just take a walk even sometimes, uh, and get away that, that does help a lot. Yeah. And one of the,
0: I think important things, if, if, uh, you're going to be effective at meditating and having that type of time is, uh, getting up early enough to do it in a lot of cases. And like you mentioned, especially as you have a family, because if you can't, um, Get up before the kids. Good luck, <laughs> because they're uh, they have needs and wants. It's hard, it's hard to focus when they're trying to whisper in your ear about cereal or something. Like, well,
1: did you just give me give me a second. Here? It's their first thought when they wake up. Yeah. They have to have that cereal. Where's the cereal at? <laughs> we have cereal. How about it's interesting thing? too. Like these uh, these these studies showing how irritated people get by all these man made sounds. It just serves as further proof of just the way that God would probably want us to live where we're more spread out we're not compacted into cities like is so often the case we have maybe our own plot of land we're able to uh, enjoy some peace and quiet obviously in the future hopefully people are more considerate of others as well and and not not so much only concerned with themselves so obviously some changes need to be made in the way that we're living if 97 percent of us are always just being hit by these sounds and we can't avoid it no matter what almost greatest sound in the world to me is uh, the ocean
0: just you know you sometimes you'll if you go to a beach and you'll see like somebody that's uh done well for themselves they have a nice big house there overlooking the beach and you think boy if you just open the windows just hear that sound i mean that's why they make recordings of those things to try to you know <laughs> pacify people but those are great great sounds and uh some of the things that um, are good to meditate on, if you can find some quiet, get away from all those distractions, are laid out here in this article. And uh, he talks about, uh, again, this is from PCOG.org, the secret to a better relationship with God. Talking about meditation and it and uh, talks about King David's example. And he would, you know, he posed the question in Psalm 8 there uh, about when I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have ordained you know, what is man? That's a very famous passage. But he needed time to think about that. You know, you need time, and he was out there with the sheep in the field, and that was part of his uh, job, but it's peaceful and quiet at the time. But you need you need time like that to stop and reflect on things and to think on things, and in this case, meditate on things. And uh, it's even interesting, just if you look at uh, some scientific discoveries from years ago before we had some of the more recent technology a lot of things people discovered, which are amazing, were just because they really took some time to think about it and just meditate on it and stop and just consider. And if, if there's constant distraction from people and noise and all those things, it, it's just hard to to really marshal your thoughts in a specific direction
1: for a extended period of time. And that's probably why the average person 100 years ago or 200 years ago is probably more capable than we are now because they were cap- They were able to just clear their thoughts or clear their head and then just focus on their thoughts. It's, it's kind of hard to do that now if you have smartphones and all kinds of distractions out there. Um, obviously, in the past, probably education wasn't as readily available, but they didn't have all the distractions holding them back from at least thinking for themselves, which is a big problem that we're having today. Yeah, you just don't see... Um we
0: don't see people stopping and really thinking as much. I think because there's just so many, so many things that are there to distract us and take our take our thoughts away, and and uh, it's easy to not realize what you're missing out on. And uh, meditation takes time, and time that's not distracted time. So uh, some other things that are really good to meditate on, brought out in this article, is uh, significant Bible personalities. You can look at the, the history of uh, those great personalities, Elijah. Uh, Jesus Christ, more modern uh, personalities such as uh, Mr. Armstrong, Herbert Armstrong. And uh, as is pointed out in this article, uh, the book of Malachi provides some specific prophecies about uh, the end-time Elijah and the work he would do, and also describes those who would understand these prophecies. And uh, in Malachi 3.16, it lists some of their common characteristics, and uh, it talks about how they uh, spoke often one to another, And the Eternal uh, hearkened and heard it, and the Book of Remembrance was written before them that feared the Eternal and thought upon his name. And so the point is brought out there that through meditation upon God's very name, we gain precious insight into his character. Uh, That's something that people don't think about too often. But uh, when you look at the way God is described in the Bible, uh, there are a lot of very specific titles that talk about things that he does. And to stop and just think about that, and we heard something about that recently, um, you know, you can spend a lot of time just thinking about something like that. Because I could see people that aren't in the habit of meditating saying, like, what am I going to think about? I'm just going to sit here, you know, stare at the wall. It's like, no, you have to think about things And there, especially when you're looking at the Bible, uh, there's a lot of things that that you can meditate on
1: for a long time. Well, probably that just gives away that there has to be something that you're putting into your mind before you can even meditate. So studying is almost like a prerequisite of meditating. I heard the parallel years ago that studying the Bible is like eating and then meditating is like digesting. So if you don't have that digesting aspect of it, the study is not nearly as effective as it could be because you're not thinking about all of the deeper meaning of the things that you just studied. It's almost like the study is not not really as valuable as it should be, not even close because, you know, like, like you said here, like if you are studying about Abraham, for example, and you you could read over that, oh, he's a friend of God. But if you sit down and think about it later and, and think, well, what made him a friend of God? What, what ways could I actually apply this to become a friend of God myself? And when you think about it that way, you actually understand how the studying can be specifically applied in your own life. Yeah, it's easy
0: enough. No matter what the topic, whether it's a, a biblical topic or it's just some some uh, you know studying history or something, very easy to just read over something and go your way and and don't retain a whole lot of it. You know, um, I I find that uh, if I'm working with my kids and studying something for school, and we'll I'll ask them the question and they're not sure in the answer, and then I'll give it to them. and They're like, okay, and I'm like, okay, but how are you going to remember <laughs> this now? You know, because we got. 50 of these so we got we got to figure out a system to try to put it into our memories and uh and like you said when you sit there and you really ask yourself some questions like okay well so so you know abraham was a friend of god for that example well like what does that mean and and what do friends do and and what kind of relationship is that and then uh you know investigating even more into it then uh that's a lot more effective than just reading the to line and moving on with your day.
1: And that's just a good practice in general in life and not just in meditation, but instead of just accepting things at face value for what they are, why not ask the questions? Why is it this way? How is it this way? Uh are there ways to copy this if it's a good thing or avoid it if it's a bad thing? You know, what are the ramifications of it? Think about really what it means and so that if someone asked you the question, Like, prepare it, prepare that way. Like, if someone asked you a question about a certain subject that you had just read about, well, how would you answer that question? Because if you can't answer the question, what's the good of, of even reading it in the first place? It's like you didn't even comprehend any of it. Right.
0: And then, too, I think you find in conversations with people that, you know, you can tell somebody's thought about something because there's more depth to their thought on it as opposed to just the surface sort of answer. Um, and, uh, the final section brought out in this article here, this, uh, it's from the pcog.org website, the secret to a better relationship with God. You can read it there for free. Um, but it talks about meditating on the law, which, um, oh uh, that's not a bad word, <laughs> 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 though sometimes it could seem that way with law, but, uh, meditate on the law. And, and really there's a positive, very, very positive. The law is mostly positive. I mean, we tend to think of a, like the punishment for breaking the law. But the law is very positive, I mean even if you think about man's laws, well, what's positive about you know uh not being allowed to uh go in and take whatever you want out of a store you know what what's the because you think well I'd like to go in there and just take whatever I want, but there's all kinds of positives to those you know uh rules the shop owner has an a uh, you know uh, uh, living because of it i mean you can think you can think about it so many ways, but that's kind of the point if you just stop and meditate on laws, especially god's laws uh And and think about the positive aspects of them and the good that comes from keeping them that can really uh, put us in a better mind frame about them because it's easy to kind of have a negative, you know, I can't do this as opposed to the positive aspects and what what can I do and what is the blessing and the benefit from keeping the law.
1: Yeah, that's right. And like you said with that example of the possibility of robbing a store and why should you be stopped from doing that on a physical level? Well, all the laws... Uh, preferably are going to be about either stopping you from hurting others or stopping you from hurting yourself. And that's definitely true when it comes to the Ten Commandments. God God has uh, the best intentions for us and he wants us to live the abundant way of life. Uh, and that's what those Ten Commandments are for. And that's even something that's interesting to think about just how there are only ten of them and yet they apply to absolutely every scenario imaginable every event that has ever happened in human history you could apply the ten commandments and see how a situation could have improved yeah lots to think about there
0: it's a great write-up pcog.org the secret to a better relationship with god uh talking about meditation and of course uh part of it is uh getting away from an excess of man-made noise as much as possible (laughs) try to keep it below 50 decibels what is our show 49 decibels. (laughs) (laughs) We'll whisper. We'll (laughs) whisper in the future. Uh, That's all the time we have for today here on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for spending some of your day with us. Key David program, Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Those are on the way. Make sure you listen for that. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.